Have you ever dreamed of joining a commune? We live vicariously through a new Oscar contender. I love the scenes of this collective, this idea of people all living together in pursuit of an ideal, cooking together, having fun together. There's this great scene actually in the outside um, where they're all having a party. <laughs> and the, well, maybe it is something to do with lockdown frustration, the idea of having a party at the moment. I, I'm sure that's probably speaking to me. Stay tuned for more from critic Emma Jones and two other special guests in the latest Girls on Film isolation pod. Fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Some people call me a freak. I hate that word. I don't believe in it. Better yet, I don't believe in labels. You know, I think you're the only girl in the world that can stand on a stage with a spotlight in her eye and still see a diamond inside a man's pocket. Because I'm up at five every morning working my ass off. Does someone want to just tell me to my face you're never going to give me the scores I deserve? Hello, I'm your host, Anna Smith. This week, we're taking a close look at a female-focused entry for the Best International Feature Film at the Academy Awards. This episode is in partnership with German Films and we'll be exploring the German Oscar submission. And Tomorrow the Entire World is a political drama set in Germany's left-wing Antifa organisation, which was formed in retaliation to fascist groups. The film follows new member Luisa, a law student from an upper-class family, as she's torn between Antifa's peaceful and militant factions. My first guest is the film's writer-director, Julia von Heinz. She's a founding member of the German production company Seven Elephants, and she's known for comedy features such as I'm Off Then and Hannah's Journey. But this activist-turned-filmmaker calls And Tomorrow the Entire World her most personal film yet. Was bringen diese ganzen Gesetze, wenn da sowieso niemand dran glaubt? Hä? Bist du irgendwie paranoid? Wohin fahrt ihr? Camping. Fuck, das ist Sprengstoff. Das ist doch kein Spiel mehr! Das willst du doch gar nicht, was hier passiert! Du sitzt da immer nur rum und guckst zu, aber dann hindern nicht andere Leute daran, wirklich etwas zu machen. Seid ihr eigentlich bescheuert? Bis gestern war das P81 ein gemeinnütziger Verein. Jetzt sind wir eine kriminelle Vereinigung. Die wollen Tote sehen. Und du? Was willst du? Now, obviously, um, I understand this is partly based on your own experiences. Can you tell us a bit more about those experiences and why you decided to turn it into a film? My own experience, it's, it's very long ago. That was in the 1990s when I was about the age of my protagonists in the film. I was even younger. I joined the left wing group when I was 16 and I stayed there for about a decade until I was 26. And that was a very intense time of my life. And after the political activist time, I started filmmaking. And sometimes it feels very similar. <laughs> But um, it was actually the first film I wanted to make. I always thought I have to share this intense time with other people and all the questions I have in my mind. And I wrote a script in the year 2000 about a young girl entering a group and um, yeah, uh, having all these questions about violence and whether it can be a political mean and a young woman who is torn between all these different groups in the group. 
And um, that was a ba very bad script. I'm very happy that no one <laughs> let me do that. That's very honest of you. <laughs> um, I wasn't a director then. I just started. I had made short films. I started to learn as I, uh, I applied for film schools and I wrote this script and I even sent it to television stations, but there were very nice rejection letters. And even one of that rejection letters from the year 2000, the same woman, she is now the, how do you call it, editor of it um, now. Yeah, 20, brilliant. Yeah, 20 years later. That is brilliant. That shows perseverance pays off, doesn't it? Keep at it. That's a great yeah. message. Yeah. But I had really <laughs> had to grow into it. I really had to grow into it because I made it too easy for myself then to say, ah, I want to teach the audience about politics and that's not how a film works. And I really had to learn that. Well, it's certainly very effective because it doesn't have that sense of being, you know, spoken to or lectured at. Um, it's a thoroughly involving film, I found. And there are also some terrifying moments yeah. in it and um, when yeah. she finds herself in great peril. What were the scariest situations you found yourself in in real life? And do we see those in the film? Of course, it was frightening to stand next to someone and there was violence. And I, I, I hate violence. Everybody hates, uh, actually, we, we don't like violence. And it, uh, also with the film, I don't want to say violence is good. I only ask the question, is it sometimes ne necessary if a violent environment grows um, around us? But. I remember situations, yeah, standing in front of someone. And I also remember that the boys, the guys, they, yeah, felt more comfortable about those situations. But I had very strong female friendships in that group. And I know that we always looked at each other and said, oh, I want to piss in my pants. I'm sorry, I just want to leave. I want to go home. When will this be over? Um, and I don't know, we were very honest, but. Also, there were group dynamic um, yeah, processes where sometimes we didn't dare to say, oh, let's stop this. We want to go. Uh, let's go home. Because, I don't know, you wanted to be strong and you wanted to be part of the group. So I also tried to show that with Luisa, my protagonist. <laughs> felt very um, intense and very, very real because you mentioned the pissing in the pants and there is a scene where, yeah, where there she, is even, she yeah, does. You're right, she does. Yeah, she literally yes. does that. And I thought that was so interesting because you don't, you know, when you watch a Hollywood action film, you never see anything like that. But in reality, I'm sure that's what happens, right? Yeah, it's you're terrified. You're terrified. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's 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 not, uh, yeah, it's not what you want to do to be very close to someone you hate and, uh, yeah, touch him or whatever, be touched by someone, be scared to get slapped or whatever. That's horrifying. And, um, yeah, it, I, you will never forget a situation like that. And also, of course, and more people experience that when you're in a demonstration and the police comes. That's also a very extreme and intense yeah, memories and you never forget those pictures. And I really tried to 
get as close to reality as I could as a filmmaker to involve the audience so that they might feel how it is. That's why I yeah, never yeah. used wide shots, for example, because I always thought, no, don't use the wide shot. Always use her perspective to, I don't know, bring the audience into her head. Talk to me a bit more about the cinematography. Now, you mentioned because you work with a female cinematographer, Daniela Knapp. Um, what kind of conversations did you have about achieving that kind of intimacy? It was a very strong and clear decision to say we see only what Louisa sees. Because in a way that, yeah, yeah, they had to grow into one person. The cinematographer, Daniela, and Marla, my main actress, they had to become one. Because we go into every scene over shoulder with Mala, so they had to yeah, go in the same rhythm through the whole film. Then we have the reverse shot where we see her reaction, and then we have the POVs. But usually, sometimes we said to Mala, ah, now you have uh, free, you can sit down for one shot. Ah, no, we need you, you have to come back. So she's really in every single shot, because even with the POVs, we often noticed if it's only the POV, no, we are missing Mala. We need to have some hair from her. We need to feel she's still there. So she's really in every single shot. And that was great that um, we made this very strong decision because um, yeah, now you never feel like, oh, I can relax and um, lean back and see it from a distance. You have to go with her and we only have one wide shot perhaps you saw that after the song because then she's so small and then she's so weak and she's all by her own and no one stayed with her and that's the only wide shot and that was a very clear decision that Daniela and I made. There are female friendships portrayed in the film could you speak a little bit more about that and, yeah. and how that again related to your, your experiences you mentioned you were very close with a lot of the girls. Yeah, I, uh, female friendship was important. And I mean, you know, it, that was 25 years ago and feminism was not so mainstream like it is now. So it was very something very special for me that we said in this group, we also have a girls group and we will meet without the boys and we will try not to compete with each other because in a subcultural scene, where also violence and sport is part of the subculture. It's very easy that there's the guy, Alpha, and everybody wants to be his girlfriend. And we sort of analyzed that and said, ah, let's not compete so much. Of course, there was competition, but we, we tried to understand it. And we tried to, yeah, uh, I don't know, may, uh, to be strong and supportive to each other. and. This experience helped me so much in my life as a director, because now I have so strong female partnerships with producers, with my cinematographer, with many, many other directors who are friends and uh, we talk to uh, each other and support each other. And uh, I'm also a professor now. And when I see that girls start competing, I absolutely tell them to stop because that's so easy and that's so common and that is that will yeah make them so weak and i always try to bring them that experience and yeah i must say the female friendships uh, they last for 30 years now and we still love each other <laughs> Stronger together, I love that. That's what we're about on Girls on Film as well. Yeah. You know, bringing each other up, definitely. 
Alpha's such an interesting character. You, you, you implied there, is he very much based on somebody? He's a mixture, yeah. Um, um, he's based on somebody, but he's also a mixture. And I would say if there is someone with a little bit of a cliche, it's most uh, mostly him. Uh, I hope he's not, but of course he, he is the guy that you find there. He's very handsome and he's attractive and his charisma, but we need those guys because that's the attraction of a scene like that. That's um, He's the rat catcher if you want people come because guys like him are there and they attract you and what i love about alpha is that he's weak in the and that he will be honest in the end of the film too he says don't see that hero in me i'm not that hero and i will ask my dad who has some influence to help me out and yeah he admits that he's not that hero and that's why i love him as well, very much. So was haben wir noch nie gemacht in der Größenordnung. Alter. Das kann alles ändern. Das willst du doch gar Wieso, nicht. Wieso, Lenor? Wieso sollte das nicht wollen? Wo ist denn da die nächste Bullenwache? Seid ihr dumm? Da sind Bullen vor Ort. Wir gucken uns das an. Wir checken, wie die Wege sind zur nächsten Bullenwache, wo wir parken können und wie wir zurückkommen. Am Vortag treffen wir uns und wir zeigen euch alles. Ihr glaubt nicht, dass eine Demo oder now, the majority of activists in this film are white. Was that your experience? Yes, that was my experience. And we thought about changing it. I, for example, I thought about Butter. Um, um, and I, I, there are many characters. There, it could have been much more diverse. But it didn't feel true. And um, I asked a lot of people why the Antifa and these left-wing groups were and are still so white. And yeah, many people say, because if you have dark skin, you want to be invisible. You don't want to be in a conflict with the police. You can't even afford it. We don't go to demonstrations. We know we are the first ones who yeah go to jail and no one will come and get us out. So at least we decided to make it yeah, to um, to talk about that, that they are privileged and Luisa especially privileged, but also Alpha, we learn about him that he's not so honest and that he is very um, privileged. Um, but it changes now. In the last years now, for example, we have the Pantifa and it's an Antifa from black people and Antifa Genschlik, which, which is a Turkish Antifa, but that is something rather new. And I hope there will be films about it but I think I shouldn't make that film, but uh, it should come from th those movements. I really want to see it. That's a fascinating answer. Thank you. Uh, I'm curious to know more about what the situation is like um, with this kind of fight in Germany at the moment. And is it sadly more relevant than ever, the story that you're telling? Yes, and we didn't expect how urgent it would be. And that's horrible. Um, for example, I had something um, in the film and that was a montage of real things happening, a documentary montage like in Black Clans Clan from Spike Lee. Um, and that was very good. It was very emotional because when the police comes and they storm this uh, left wing center, we went with the music into this documentary montage of things happening in Germany. And that was in March last year. And then things happened again 
and again and again. It was horrible. We had in Hanau someone shooting nine people in a shisha bar. We had in Halle someone shooting in a, into a synagogue. We had Lübke, a left-wing politician. He was shot in the head. We had to open the film again and again, and it was crazy how urgent it went. So at one point we decided to take it all out, to say we stay timeless here. And also it was a little bit too manipulative, this um, mont montage. I noticed that I don't need it for the film, but that was the most horrible thing to experience, how urgent it is like we never had imagined when we wrote that script. It's interesting also that you managed to show the divisions within the group. Yeah. Um, talk to me a little bit about your decision to show that. And I presume that, as you suggest, that very much comes from a real place. Yeah, I wanted to be as precise as possible about the group and not say, oh, they are good and they are strong and they keep they uh, yeah together and whatever. No, it's many, many different opinions. And sometimes that weakens left-wing groups that there are so many different opinions but of course the strongest counterparts are butter who is completely against violence and alpha who says yeah let's do that better us than them um, or better them than us who are who go to hospital whatever that's what he says in the film and um, I I wanted to give very strong positions to different persons because um, I hope that the audience would feel differently. Now I'm with Butter and I think she's right. And But half an hour later you think, ah, but Alpha might be right. And then you go with her through the those singing Nazis and perhaps you feel, now I want to shoot. Uh, which is very strange because uh, we shouldn't ever shoot but I wanted to really give different positions to different people so the audience has to th rethink again and again what's their own opinion about it. You mentioned the singing Nazis and that is a that is a very powerful scene at the end and what struck me with that is that you rarely see in cinema that insight into um, that community and and the fact that they actually they were having a sort of barbecue event where they all seemed to have a very strong sense of community and how tragic that they're united by such hatred. Yes. Can you talk to me a bit about that scene? We didn't make that song up. It, wow. It exists and uh, it's quite easily to be found in the internet. Also, we made sure we don't have to pay anyone for that song because I would never do that. But uh, our lawyer was very clear about that, that this has not the height of creativity, so you have to pay because it's made out of another children's song and whatever, and it's a new text. So I really want to use something that exists and to make clear how horrible it is what they think. And yeah, it's what they think and what they say, but it will be action. And if they, that turns into action, what they sing here, you know, that's a society which, yeah, which is the Third Reich again, really. And um, yeah, I was shocked when I saw this um, pictures of this um, people storming the Capitol last week, how there were people with sweatshirts, Camp Auschwitz and whatever. And it's totally the same. It's uh, the same people who say Jews are not people. And uh, yeah, all this horrible text that they are singing. I wanted to make it as clear as possible and a song 
was important for me because if someone holds a speech or Louisa would read it, it's not as strong as a song. And it's a song that's so easy to sing, like a children's song, you want to join in. And that's even more horrible. That's why we made this decision. It, it's very sinister, actually, isn't it? That, that juxtaposition between yeah. the sound, the innocent sound of the song and yet the yeah. very, very dark, hateful lyrics. Um, and it's interesting because I watched the film just before what happened in the Capitol, yeah. you know, and then it, and I just felt, gosh, there, there are so many parallels here with some, some of the yeah. characters that you, that you show, which makes this film very, very important. But tell me um, what else you're working on at the moment. Are you planning anything else? I know we're all locked down at the moment. But. Yeah, John, he, uh, my husband and co-author and I, we write our first uh -huh. series now. And it's, um, um, it's called Eldorado KDB. And the KDB is a very famous um, um, uh, department store in Berlin. And that's an interesting story because, of course, it belonged to Jews. And German, uh, yeah, it was stolen from them. But it's also a film about the very vital lesbian subculture in the 1920s in Berlin. Because uh, Babylon Berlin didn't show us that. There were 400 clubs only for women, magazines, films. And it was such a lively uh, subculture in Berlin. And we love to yeah, dive into that lesbian subculture of the 1920s. So there's a huge love story between two young women and in this department store. So that is a series that I'm going to shoot um, in July, we will hopefully start. And then um, I, I have my international debut coming up. And I'm so looking forward. And that's again something I say it's the aftermath trilogy because I'm always deal with, uh, yeah, how do generations after the Holocaust still deal with it? I made one film, Hannah's Journey, second, third generation, and tomorrow the entire world is the fourth generation, and that's a second generation film about a daughter and her father going to Poland looking for her Jewish roots. And that will be with two great American actors. I'm, I'm so looking forward. Thanks so much for coming on to Girls on Film to talk about and tomorrow the entire world and everything else. And I hope you can come back on again next time with your next project. Thank you so much. Du hast heute jede Pause vergessen, weil alles in dir übersprudelt wie auf Pause. Tabletten versuchen bisschen. That was Julia von Heinz. My next guests are two fabulous critics who will be discussing and tomorrow the entire world, as well as the films Baby Done and Promising Young Woman. Emma Jones is a correspondent and critic for the BBC's global cinema TV show Talking Movies, which airs on BBC World, BBC News in the UK and on the BBC iPlayer. She's also a TEDx speaker whose topic was the toxic female gaze about how women in the public eye aren't valued for what's within. Tara Judah is a film critic and curator for Watershed, BFI, 20th Century Flicks, Sight and Sound and more. Well, Tara and Emma, it's lovely to have you both back on Girls on Film. Um, Tara, you went on episode five from Rotterdam. Um, how are you and where are you now? Uh, very well, thank you. Gosh, that seems like such a wonderful but long time ago being physically at a film festival. Um, uh, sorry that we can't be in the room together today. I am now back in my home in Bristol, which is where I'm doing everything presently, as we all pretty much are. Indeed. Well, it's very good to have you back, if, if remotely. And Emma, welcome back because you were on episode 15 no. from home in Manchester which again was a lovely in-person event so thanks for joining <laughs> us remotely today 
Uh, Where are you pleasure. now? No, I'm uh, currently at home in London as well in the in the lockdown. And yes, Manchester seems like a gloriously exotic <laughs> journey to be able to take at the moment. I know, <laughs> just getting on the train. And doing something <laughs> feels incredible. Never mind going to Rotterdam and doing a film first. Yeah. I'm hoping we can do all those things again soon. M meantime, it's nice to see your faces on Zoom and, and to speak to you this way and to keep the listeners company because at the moment that's particularly important. So thank you. Um, now we've just heard from the director of And Tomorrow, The Entire World. So let's start off with that one in the discussion. Um, now, Emma, you saw this in Venice, I believe. How was that experience? So firstly, I got to see this movie as it should be seen in a huge full auditorium, well, half full auditorium, obviously, you know, for, for social distancing and that kind of thing. Um, but on the big screen, proper sound. And I have to say that I really enjoyed this film. It's, uh, it's, it's such a good movie. And do you know what it reminded me of, actually, first of all, in some ways, was a film I was kind of obsessed with in 2004 that I don't know if you've seen called The Educators. Um, the Educators with a K, and it starred Daniel Brühl. And that was another film really looking at um, the young anarchists of the time um, in Germany. And it was quite a, a, a clever satire, really, on how um, you start off with idealistic youth uh, and that you eventually uh, merge into a more conservative mindset, conservative with a small c really and in a way that youth, that fire, that idealism, uh, this present film by Yulia had it all as well. So I, I see the two girls really as the two main characters in the movie uh, and of course it's, it's a really accomplished performances. It's Louisa and Bata, isn't it? So I'm so sorry if I'm pronouncing that horribly um, because <laughs> and, I, and I interview both those actresses and I see their friendship and the damage that you know is going on to their friendship as the main thrust of the film. Tell us more about that interview then. How was it speaking to them and about working together? Because I, I agree that it's it, what really fascinated me was that depiction of the tensions within a female friendship in, in quite an unusual environment that we're not used to seeing. When I spoke to them, uh, oh dear, gosh, face to face as well. Wow, do you remember that? <laughs> remember mask that? to mask. <laughs> yeah, face to face, mask to mask, outside actually in, in September, um, they were incredibly eloquent uh, young women and uh, they really enjoyed Yulia's interpretation because of course, uh, as you know, you, you know from talking to her, that this was extremely personal for this director, that it was partly based on her own experiences as a young woman herself. And I think that um, both these actresses were incredibly switched on to what was going on around them. And they thought that uh, Yulia's drama was incredibly necessary in a way to, to warn uh, the, the people who would see it of the rise again of, of fascism in Germany. Well, that's it. It does feel sadly, unfortunately, very timely. Um, I mean, particularly considering the recent right wing attacks in the US and the post Brexit rise in racially motivated hate crimes here in the UK. And of course, in Germany, sadly, it's, it's relevant. Tara, how did you feel about that kind of topical sense? 
Yeah, I think the choice to have it as a contemporary um, timeline is a really good one. Um, I mean, you know, obviously there's there's a, a, a mine of, of historical stories to draw upon, and especially if there is personal um, history there. But I think putting it in the present day and making it about young people today is a very good choice. I think that's a much more relatable um, way in to this sort of a narrative. Uh, it's obviously one of those films as well where you feel a lot of the passion as a viewer in terms of the conflicting emotions. And what I probably enjoyed the most was the fact that as a viewer, you do feel that conflict of understanding where their deep passion to do something comes from, but also a frustration, I think, as a viewer about their choices some of the time, um, because it's not necessarily always the most logical or the best way of going about things that they, they choose. What I really like in the narrative is you really feel the confusion of being Louise's age, I feel, where you've got, you know, you've got the guy who you're not sure is, is, is a great choice or not, but you're, really, you're into him anyway. You're falling out with your best friend. You, you, you know, you're a rush of hormones and you believe so passionately in this cause. And I think that what Yulia really explores really well is where do you draw the line? How do you stop getting so sucked into to something? You know, how, how far should you go for your ideology? And I think that's probably something she, she must have questioned herself. It's an important question, I think, um, because especially obviously with the, the German context, I think, and it's brought up multiple times in the film that um, there is a, a crisis of of identity and trying to do things what we might call the so-called legitimate way, the legal way, or um, what is potentially the non-violent way. And obviously that tension comes up because it, as they are in school or, you know, in their classes, but also in their reality is that they can't um, separate it from the history in the way that potentially other nations or other places might be able to. The idea of a neo-Nazi is potentially terrifying in any country, but it takes on so much more um, weight when it's actually set in Germany. That's very, very true. Um, Emma, tell me about your favourite scenes. Are there any particular moments which you really cherished and felt were especially effective because there's some quite powerful, intense scenes in this film? Do you know what? I was, I was thinking about the overall feel of the film and I think I'll, I'll try and come on to, um, to, to, to a scene in a moment, but I really enjoyed it in the sense that I'm not 20 anymore and I love the idea that, um, that Louisa goes, you know, she, you know, her friends are all very much into to being vegans, of living ethically. They want to live in this commune. It's the idea, um, I, I love the scenes of this collective, this idea of people all living together in pursuit of an ideal, cooking together, having fun together. There's this great scene actually in the outside um, um, where they're all having a party <laughs> and the well maybe it's something to do with lockdown frustration the idea of having a party at the moment I, I'm sure that's probably speaking to me even in September when things seem slightly more normal but the, there is this idea of idealistic youth and living that youth and trying to recreate almost the flavor of the, the late 60s when people were trying to live in in communes and and live a, a peaceful well trying to live a peaceful productive life I really really love the feel of that and I think that's probably what I liked about the educators as well was this this kind of freedom of being loosed from social norms also I really like the scenes where they are arguing about how far they are going to go 
I think that there's, um, I think that they're probably some of the best scenes in terms of dramatic tension. And I hadn't really thought about maybe, um, maybe some of the the relationships in terms of those those kind of relationships and the the power struggles that go on and they're quite male female power struggles as well so when you've got alpha arguing to go all in and of course louisa decides to go with him i don't know if i'm giving too much of the the, the, the plot away i think that they're really excellent uh they're they're full of dramatic tension yeah i actually really enjoy there's a sequence where um they're headed off to participate in some um kind of potentially not too violent conflict but things escalate uh and they're pretending that they're going for a wedding and i really enjoyed um the the kind of the sense of them on the road it had this really nice sense of uh rebelliousness but in a very sort of honest or or naive way actually um and 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 that naivety i think there's a few moments in the film where you get that sense of like what it's like to be a young person doing something slightly transgressive, maybe slightly starting to get away with it, um, you know, before the stakes get too high and the, the ante is upped and before the actual kind of like violent threat comes in. It's just this idea of kids off doing something on the road that's like a little bit naughty. Um, and I really enjoyed that because I think there was a playfulness to that scene as well, um, which was a nice antidote to the higher stakes that were yet to come. Mm. And I love the scenes where Malara Emde is try, uh, playing Louisa is just trying to um, to decide what to do in a certain scene. Where, you know, if she if she goes one way, she will go too far. And you know, brilliant performance off Marla there. Really, you really feel um, from a female perspective the idea of somebody who might be about to commit a crime. And I'm not sure we're really often treated to that still, no matter how much better filmmaking has, has got from the, the female perspective. You really see her battling with herself there. And it's awful. It's, it's really good dramatic tension. So that was And Tomorrow the Entire World. Thank you for discussing that with me. Um, now we're going to move on to another film which is out on digital now. Very different, Kettle of Fish. It's called Baby Done. It stars the comedian Rose Matafeo and Matthew Lewis, who you might know from Harry Potter. It follows uh, Matafeo as Zoe, who freaks out when she becomes pregnant. And her long-term boyfriend, Tim, embraces the prospect of fatherhood. But Zoe attempts to rush through her dreams before the baby arrives. Now, Tara, I wanted to start with you on this one, because actually, when you last came on Girls on Film, you were expecting your child, weren't you? Did did this resonate? Did this resonate with you? Yeah, I found this very uh, charming and amusing, actually. I I enjoyed this film very much. Um, The the cognitive dissonance between what you think will happen when you have a baby and what will actually happen when you have a baby is quite large. Um, So I enjoyed this concept of a woman, um, you know, sort of being slightly in denial, um, you know, making lots of jokes about things and and not really wanting to engage with the actual preparation of things. Um, Obviously, it is a very lighthearted look at it. So there's not the kind of like... There's not, I guess, the flip side to that, which can be the actual reality of how hard things might actually then be, uh, particularly if you have entered into it with, um, I guess, uh, a, a perspective of of fear, anxiety, and all of those things covered up with the jokes. Um, but it has that wonderful, um, quirky sense of humour that, you know, I mean, I grew up in Australia that I feel like Antipodean films are quite known for and that, you know, we, we infuse um, Australian and New Zealand cinema with this this type of, like, 
jokes about everything that we can't cope with um, and about, you know, the the sort of the, the pitfalls of suburban life. I particularly enjoyed because I never have been to or had my own baby shower. I particularly enjoyed the baby shower sequences in this film because I thought they were hilarious. Um, and I thought that the, the details of what people <laughs> decorate at baby showers was very funny. Everyone here has a baby or has a baby inside them. Just is a baby. No. <laughs> hey, what's inside that? Oh, there we go. What? <laughs> Pink. <laughs> oh, thank God you're here. Molly, what's up? The baby showers and hen nights are blurring together. <clears throat> Married, house, baby, done. They're gone. They're parents. Yeah. Just us now. Hey, how was Thailand? Yeah, it was good. I stayed in a halfway house for orphan elephants. What are you up to? Uh, world tree climbing masters? True. What is that? Yeah, you just climb a tree as fast as you can. Wow. It was bizarre. I've never been to a baby shower really like that. Um, Emma, have you ever experienced anything like that? <laughs> no, not really, no. I don't, I don't think the, the baby showers, I thought that was a, uh, that is one of my favourite scenes, actually. I completely agree with Tara. That is one of my favourite scenes in the movie, just to expose the whole baby shower and all its hideousness. And I feel that this is one of the, the, the worst exports we've ever got from America. <laughs> <laughs> to be to be quite honest with you, and also the the gender reveal party now. I mean, I think I think that where the the film is is truly excellent, it plays into a lot of the cliches. You know, it, it does the cliches, but it does them extremely well. For of course, because the film is about uh, the, the couples kind of bucket list to get through, to do things before this baby is born and changes their lives irrevocably, I guess. Um, I really like the fact that Tim's bucket list is really to do with a threesome and drugs. It's so <laughs> basic. It's, it's such a cliche, but I agree with Tara. It's done so charmingly. The sense of humour is fantastic. I do think the fact that it was produced by Taika Waititi's production company probably has a lot to say about how smart it ended up. I think that right now he can almost do no wrong. And I think the fact that that has a feel of being produced by him and his producing partners it definitely comes through. It's a very smart, slick comedy. And it's got that Kiwi flavour, hasn't it? I mean, you've got people from the Breaker Upperers in it as well. Um, and obviously there's a hunt for the World of People connection as well. So, I mean, personally, I'm a real fan of that kind of slightly offbeat humour, quite dry and an unusual character. I mean, um, Tara, she, she's a kind of a tree surgeon, isn't she? Um, do you enjoy seeing so someone in that occupation as a woman in the centre of the story? Yeah, it was wonderful to see um, also like the passion and the focus on her job because I think that you know is an issue that actually is in incredibly important and you know we've said a lot about this film being humorous and entertaining which it absolutely is but it actually is dealing with a really serious issue too which is the fact that when you have if, if you're a woman and you have a baby and this is very much played out in the the kind of dynamics of the relationship with her partner is that it affects you and your work in a way that it won't f affect your partner necessarily the same you know there are restrictions when you're pregnant on things you can feel 
physically do. And she has a physical career. She is an arborist. She wants to climb trees. She wants to compete. She wants to travel. I mean, I found the, you know, also the thing about getting a doctor's note to travel really great because when I was eight months pregnant or just about eight months pregnant, I did travel to New York. And I remember walking up and down the subway stairs and thinking this was a really stupid idea. It's really hard. Um, and, you know, there's a reason why you can't travel so late into your pregnancy. And so there's all these things about what physical limitations as well as uh, mental and, and and other kind of emotional challenging phys- uh, limitations there will be on you uh, in the process of incubating and then becoming a mother. I think it's such a super helpful film that I wish had been around sooner um, in the sense that, you know, that the that the anticipation of motherhood is supposed to be this joyful experience and keeps on being portrayed as this perfect experience. And here is something where finally we can see an incredibly related character, brilliant performance by Rose, I think, just a great performance. I hope she does more drama and comedy, but it really shows that it's, it's okay to be really doubtful about moving on to the next stage of your life, to think that it's okay to think that it might be hideous. And uh, I did actually speak to Rose recently about about, uh, her experience of filming. And she, she pointed out that social media keeps on making this experience of perfection, you know, whether it's image or, you know, the image of motherhood, she said, she thinks is is of perfection and there's this pressure on women. It's really nice to have this gorgeous little gem of a movie, you know, saying it's basically okay to be freaking out about this change in your life that's coming. And it strikes me that this is the third film recently to come from a director and writer couple um, who were inspired by their own personal experiences with pregnancy. We had St. Francis uh, tackling abortion, and that came from a couple, and um, Pieces of a Woman, very different tone, looking at the tragedy of neonatal death. Um, Do either of you want to comment on what you think this can bring to a film, having a couple to being so frank about their personal experiences? Yeah, I guess um, the, the key thing here is that, you know, it affects uh, in in a relationship. It affects the relationship as well as the individuals. So obviously, it's going to have an effect physically, mentally, emotionally, etc., on the mother. Also, there's going to be an impact on if it's a father or a second um, mother or whoever the other partner is. There's going to be an impact on them as well. Um, but but what actually also happens, and I think gets forgotten about, is that it has an impact on the relationship between the two people and their dynamic has to change as well. And I think the film explores that really well, is that these are two individuals who have differing responses to the fact that she's pregnant, but also that then what they thought was a relationship that was completely in sync suddenly goes slightly out of sync because two individuals and a relationship are trying to deal with this arrival of a new person and this change in in the environment that they're in. And so I think bringing those two um, perspectives together means that you get that third piece of the puzzle, which is actually really integral to telling the story. Good God almighty. You know, they put themselves in danger, girls like that. It was a perverted thing to say. You'd think you'd learn by that age, right? Promising Young Woman is a darkly comic thriller starring Carey Mulligan as a girl who trawls nightclubs and bars pretending to be drunk, then confronting the men who try to exploit a vulnerable woman. It's written and directed by Emerald Fennell, who was the showrunner for Killing Eve Series 2, and she also plays the young Camilla in The Crown. Every week, I go to a club. I act like I'm too drunk to stand. 
And every week, a nice guy comes over to see if I'm okay. You okay? You are so pretty. I am a nice guy. Are you? One, two, three, four. I thought we had a connection. Okay. How old am I? What are my hobbies? What's my name? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. Um, so this, there's so much to talk about with this film, um, but if we can go for sort of brief non-spoilery um, impressions, and obviously to, just to flag up um, that there may be a discussion of sexual assault in this. Um, Tara, how did you find Promising Young Woman? I really liked this film a lot, actually. Um, it was a little bit different to how I expected it to be. I think given all the the trailers and the kind of hype previously, I actually thought it was going to be a little bit more violent, um, physically violent uh, and gratuitously violent than it is. So um, for anybody who's concerned about that, it, it, you don't see a lot of violence on screen, which um, surprised me to some extent. But what I really liked about this film is the way that it explores uh, the concept of how feminism is navigating its way through the patriarchy, through the personal story of one young woman uh, whose life has been irrevocably altered due to events that have happened previously um, s surrounding her. I won't say too much about that because it would be giving things away. Um, but it has a really beautiful way of exploring that through also the colour palette in this film. That's the thing I really liked so much was this really interesting use of blue and pink obviously um, very kind of charged colours but the use of those colours to show throughout the film um, the power dynamics of when the patriarchy is winning um, and when, when her kind of feminist uh, I would say moral project, um, just not to give too much away, but when what she's trying to achieve uh, is either having its success or faltering against that. And so we see a lot of that played out in the colours of the film. And so I loved the production design. I loved the art direction in this film. And I thought the costuming and the detail in the hair and makeup and things like that were just absolutely spot on. There's an incredible um, aesthetic to the family home that she lives in. Uh, I won't say too much more about it, but it's beautiful to look at yeah it's, it's a really really stunning performance from carrie mulligan essentially she's an absolute revelation she always was a brilliant actress just seen her recently in the dig as well um she is she's a great actress in pretty much whatever she does but she is absolutely astonishing as as cassie as tara is saying it's it's a candy colored comic revenge thriller uh you definitely look at the colours throughout the film and that those use of the pastels um, juxtapose against the, the revenge that she is, is planning is, is really, really powerful. I think that it's, it's such a shame that Promising young, young Woman was a casualty of the pandemic in that it's got delayed and delayed. It feels that the issues raised by Me Too um, I've almost got not junked, but definitely put on the back burner on the issue of a global when a, an issue of a global pandemic. Um, everything that's been going on in the world in 2020 came through, so it feels almost like it's a shame that this has been delayed. But I think it's getting so much buzz. I think it really will put those issues that the Me Too movement was raising firmly back up for discussion. And what I really enjoy about it is there are there are so many moments of comedy there and you'll see some great cameos in in there from from actors including Christopher Mintz-Palasse a scene that I absolutely love won't spoil it for now 
Um, but I think, it, I think it's really important that guys go and see this film as well, that it doesn't become a girl's film um, that women go and see <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then come out of in the same way that maybe Suffragette would be a film that a lot of women would go and see. Men, maybe, maybe not so much. But in order to get this issue um, out there for discussion again, I think that the, the high moments of comedy and the highly stylized um, production as well could definitely attract some young men to, to go and watch the film and, and hopefully provoke some kind of discussion off the back of it. I think that that's a good point. And I think hopefully that is the intention to, to make it in a very entertaining film that you can mm. watch as a couple or you can just watch on your own or you can watch in an all-male group, get a lot of laughs out of it, a lot of entertainment, but it'll make you think, it'll make them think about who is complicit, um, you know, in, in instances of sexual assault and um, bystanders and people who just brush things under the carpet, a lot of very important issues tackled, but with a, with a very accessible touch. So um, I, I, we're definitely going to be talking about this more. Um, Eliana and Heather and the Girls on Film team have got a lot more to say about this and a lot of questions, but we're going to come back to that in a later episode when we can tell the listeners exactly when they can watch it in the UK, which hopefully will be soon. But um, meantime, I want to ask you both, um, is there anything you're working on that you want to highlight to our lovely listeners, Tara? Oh, that's a great question. Um, I'm not sure that there is. Um, I, I have a regular column that I write um, called Reflections. So if anybody is interested in checking that out, it's up at a website called Ubiquarian. Um, and that has all of my 2020 thoughts <laughs> on what it's like living through a pandemic and attempting to watch films in, in a very difficult way. <laughs> Wow, okay, I'm going to check that out myself. Thank you. Emma, you're on the BBC a lot? Oh, well, on the BBC, next, uh, our next show, BBC Talking Movies on, on BBC News, will be a Sundance special, I can reveal, and that's in early February, in fact. So Sundance this year is going the way of all festivals in that it's going to be completely online. I'm really excited for once in the, in the sense that I've made the trip to Park City quite often, always been jet-lagged madly. You can't see all the films and this time, because you are, we are watching it online, might have a fighting chance of seeing way more than normal. But I'm, I'm really excited. Sundance last year had amazing films. I wasn't there, um, but those, those films filtered down to Berlin and we've seen them released for a year. Um, in, and I think Promising Young Woman was actually at Sundance in 2020, wasn't it? Um, so I'm really excited about being able to, to, to work on that. Excellent. Well, I shall be tuning in. Thank you both, Emma and Tara, so much for joining Girls on Film once again. It's been lovely to have you. Thank you. And tomorrow, the entire world will be coming out in the UK soon and we'll be sure to keep you posted. Meantime, if you're lucky enough to be an Ampass member, you can watch the film in the official Ampass screening room. You need to register in the Best International Feature Film category to be able to screen it and vote in that category. Voting starts February 1st. Baby Done is out in the UK now through Vertigo releasing and Promising Young Woman is coming soon. Girls on Film was brought to you by executive producer Hedda Archbold, audio producer Tom Wally, assistant producer Heather Dempsey, intern Eliana Jay, and our partners for this episode, German Films. Do follow us and message us on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook and go to our Patreon page. You can go to patreon.com forward slash girls on film podcast. Big thanks to everyone who's been supporting us so far. Thanks also to those who've been subscribing and reviewing us. That really helps too. You've been listening to me, Anna Smith, and I was joined by Julia von Heinz, Emma Jones and Tara Judah. See you soon and stay safe. So, uh, you two having kids? 
Because seriously, it is the best thing I've ever done. You haven't even had the baby yet. You should have a baby at the same time as us. That would be so good. Yeah. Have a baby. Well, you know what? I think we will now. What do you reckon? <laughs>